everybody and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today is Marvel Unlimited Monday. Before we dive into the unlimited picks of the week, go over a little bit of news that I saw today, which was a uh, an interview by Jonathan Hickman that was on the website adventuresinpoortaste.com. And they've been doing, I don't know necessarily what it is they're doing, but this is, it's, they call it X-Men Monday, number 32, Jonathan Hickman answers your House of X and Powers of X questions. So um, this is interesting because uh, Hickman actually reveals a lot in this interview. So for those of you that have been following along with his uh, House of X Powers of 10 issues that just ended last week, uh, this will probably bring some excitement to you, a little bit of hot news and uh, yeah, so I'm going to go through this really quickly as I, as I uh, kind of scroll down. So what they did was they made it a post on Twitter and said anybody can ask uh, any questions that you have for Hickman. And, you know, he can, he'll answer some of them as best as he can. And so uh, as it got to it, he, he advised that he had a hard time narrowing down uh, the questions to a manageable number, but did his best to keep things interesting and uh, kind of answer the questions that it seemed like people were asking the most, which you know what those questions are. It's what happens next. It's never, it's never questions about the current uh, stuff or you know thought processes on the current items. It's always we want we want more of what's coming next. So the first question was, will Namor appear again? And Jonathan said, uh, this is not a question that I'm going to answer. And then uh, the next one, though, was does Logan still have his adamantium skeleton after coming back from the dead? And how did he get it? And he says this was the most frequently asked question that he had. And I'm, I'm not quote, I'm sort of semi quoting. That's why I'm talking the way that I am, because I don't want to read the whole thing. You guys can go check it out on here. If it's important, I'll read the whole spot. But he said uh, if Wolverine is reborn without his adamantium skeleton, we've seen him get it back before and we can replicate that. If he's born with it, then it's because the five were able to tweak his body in vitro. Either way, it's just a process. What's more an interesting question is, why does Cyclops need a visor? Why does Chamber have a, Why doesn't Chamber have a jaw? Does Im, the imprinting of the backup of their mind mean that they have to be broken in that familiar way to actually be them? Which is a really interesting concept, like... Uh, uh, it is really, he goes into it. And we've already shown a couple of interesting tweaks like Monet being able to assume a penance form and Warren being able to be both regular angel and archangel. So there seems to be some ability to tweak the finished version of a resurrected mutant. Is that also true about their age or about other aspects of their physical condition? What about their gender? What about if they want to be backed up from an earlier version, one that hasn't suffered from a particular trauma or had their heart broken? Regardless, these all sound like stories to me, and we don't tell them for free. And, uh, I, sorry guys, I am actually going to end up reading exactly what he said. So, like I said, certain ones like that are important. So this one is, is probably the best one. This is the biggest one of them all. Powers of 10-6 did not include an updated timeline infographic on Moira's 10 Lives. Any plans to publish one? And then another one says, uh, uh, this is eating me up if... Uh, year two and year three or or power of two power of three are different timelines how come silo bell is in both in a tube and so the silo bell pc explains that there are not necessarily multiple versions but they all kind of look the same so it's not the exact same person but uh he says that this part's actually really cool he says uh the reason and i gotta scroll down to it 
Uh, that book is going to be amazing. Yeah, here we go. The reason why this changed in production is because there was a writer that we had hoped to get to do our eventual Moira book that works as a kind of dancing between the raindrops of X continuity story. And they agreed to do it long before we were expecting them to commit, which is great news. Then I basically told them that I was planning to do and asked if they wanted me to not put a timeline in the book, which would lock up a lot of the plot story stuff in it. And after talking about it, we decided not to stick it in there. So the Silabell bits went unresolved for now on the page, but we got the writer we wanted and that book is going to be amazing. I'm very excited. Uh, guys, that essentially confirms the thought that I had in the uh, the discussion that I had last week about the series, that it would be awesome if we got a Moira series. It sounds like there's one coming. Who knows when, but that, uh, that that's putting a lot of hope on my plate. And then the, uh, oh yeah, and here's, here's a perfect example. Can you explain why you've smashed the Genosha, House of M, Messiah Complex, the Utopia Period, the Schism, all of Wolverine and the X-Men, Secret Wars 2, Civil War 2, uh, Inhumans vs. X-Men, and Uncanny X-Men Volume 5 into a three-year period for Moira X. It doesn't make sense in a book so fixed on time passing. He says, You're right. The math doesn't work. The math also doesn't work for a single for a single other long-running book in the Marvel Universe. I personally don't believe that those things took place in the duration of time, but on a sliding continuity timeline, I'm also wrong. I've said this elsewhere, but my editor Jordan White is completely convinced that Cyclops is in his late 20s. I'm convinced that he's in his mid-30s. But the truth is, depending on which story metrics you use, we're both right and both wrong. It's Schrodinger's birthday. What are you going to do? Maybe don't stare at the sun. Essentially, like, come on, guys. It's just enjoy the story. And uh, then there he talks about a couple of typos. And then uh, there's, another, there's another really good bit, too, here in terms of... Uh, Oh, he says, uh, Marvel Girl going back to her old 60s costume is probably the most controversial wardrobe change in a while. Can you talk about why she's wearing that again? Jonathan said, I'm not going to lie. This one has been disappointing. I was pretty sure everyone would figure out this as soon as House of X1 hit the stands. And while I'm not going to spoil the story for you, I will say, go back and look at the most famous time she put this costume back on. That should help. And, uh... Yeah, so that's interesting. I don't. I saw it on Twitter. What it was, I think it's right after she had the Phoenix Force or something like that. I'm not too concerned. I think her costume's great, and I, you know, I'm not kind of not complaining about that. And then they talked about the fonts that he was using in the book, and uh, also about Gold Balls. Is Gold Balls going to be considered an Omega Omega level mutant? He says no. There are no more Omega level mutants besides the ones that are listed in that bit in the the one uh, infographic and then someone else talks about you know oh it says one of the laws of Krakoa is make more mutants how does that work for gay mutants like Iceman or mutants who don't wish to have children are they breaking the cardinal law of Krakoa by refusing to participate in that come on guys uh, and he even says it well obviously make more mutants as a play on no more mutants so any confusion about that comes from me loving the poetry of how these three laws sound when they're together but essentially saying there's multiple ways that you can make mutants and it's not just that one way um and here uh here's the one though that this one kind of bugged me because because you know it came up and i love hickman's response so i'm going to read this completely and then i'm going to give you my thoughts on it 
So, uh, someone asked, I want to ask Hickman if he believes the sum total of backed up memories and psionic engrams is the same as a mutant soul. I love this series, but the scene with Storm welcoming the resurrected back sits uneasily in my mind. Jonathan said, The afterlife is technically part of Marvel continuity, and Jack Kirby is technically God. So if you want to make an argument that there's strict Judeo-Christian set of post-death rules for a resurrection to result in a soul reclaimed and soul equipped, then cool. The problem is that we don't do that. Almost every single character death we undo or character we bring back through whatever story contract or, or construct or general shenanigans doesn't go on a soul quest to recover their essence. In the past, yeah, sometimes, but not anymore. Imagine if we did that nowadays in our current death resurrection cycle. That's a lot of issues. Now, if you want to make the argument that recovering your soul is a lot like William Gibson's explanation for jet lag, that souls don't travel at the same speed as planes, so jet lag is just your body waiting for your soul to catch up, it's just floating around waiting to reattach itself to its rightful reanimated host, also cool. But if that's the case, then what about duplicate copies? Which one gets the soul? I don't know, that sounds like a story to me, but that's also why we're not allowing copies of characters on Krakoa. But what if there's a mistake and you think someone's dead but makes a copy anyway? Well, again, that sounds like a story. And we even have a series built around resurrection problems coming out next year. Hell yeah, guys. Uh, the broader point is we bring back characters all the time in much less elegant ways, and this one is actually based on an experience Professor Xavier had in an earlier X-Men comic, so it makes sense that he would think of something like this. As for the reason it seems creepy, well, it feels that way because we all did, we did the resurrections at the exact same time and presented it as ceremonial. It feels religious. It feels other. It feels terrifying, unless you're them, and then it feels ascendant. It feels like victory. Anyway, the issue you're looking for, I think, is X-Men 7. It's the one with Apocalypse and Nightcrawler on the cover. This will cover all the life, death, resurrection, soul questions. So guys, he just nailed it and, and hinted at a comic that is probably coming out in, in I don't know, maybe like April. If X-Men 1 comes out this month, 2 and 3 are in November. Uh, or X-Men, is it? 1, 2, yeah, X-Men 1, X-Men 2... X-Men 3 and 4, and then probably, what, 5 and 6 or 5, 6, 7. It's a ways off, but I, I just I feel bad for the people that are worried about uh, comic book character souls, like that their, their minds and their energy is not the exact same when they put it in their body. Like To me, I just it seems like the strangest argument. It seems like when you ask that sort of argument, you're more concerned about your own uh, like the moral ambiguity of that. And it's like, at that point, guys, this is a comic book. It's a sci-fi comic book. These are, these are questions that you really don't need answering. You're just supposed to enjoy the comic. And if you get answers like this one, we'll be getting hopefully in X-Men 7, then great. But otherwise, like, don't worry about it. I saw, I saw some people on Twitter that were like freaking out about this, uh, within these uh, questions because he got like 500 questions like how can you like where's their soul how is this you know oh my god is an awesome god and i i believe in souls it's like cool well this is a comic book this isn't the bible this isn't your religion this is just just enjoy it as a comic book like holy cow uh, okay, will any of the Dawn of X books cover the gap between Age of X-Men, Uncanny X-Men, what we're reading in Marvel Unlimited right now, and the beginning of this? More specifically, will we see how Storm, Cyclops, Jean, etc. were recruited to the cause? 
And he said, good question. In the same way that we aren't going to be doing alternate reality stories or time travel stories, we're also not going to be doing pre-Krakoa stories. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Now, I know why you're asking, because there's a lot of meat on the bone regarding not only the recruitment of particular X-Men to the cause, but there are also some pivotal reunion scenes that we skipped over. It's my argument, an argument that I'll win, that those scenes will have more power if presented in juxtaposition to later scenes where the characters are now. I would expect some of that, but only when the time is right. And then, uh, again, he uh, talks about, you know, oh, the X-Men, the bad guys. And it's like, I just, I don't know, the people who ask those questions, I, I, I get it. I get that, you know, everything to those people needs to be black and white. But Hickman is writing a very gray area book. So I apologize to those that are, you know, aren't, aren't caught up on that part. A lot of writers in the X-Line books have talked about the level of collaboration uh, on the line and basically wondering how, um, reflecting on that, how does that feel? He said, we knew we would only get one shot at this, so we decided not to screw it up. And I'm not, he did not say screw. He said a, he, he said a different word that I did not want to say on this podcast. But um, yeah, so that's essential. That was that was his interview. So there's a lot of really good tidbits out of there. The big things that I took is that uh, we, we're going to get a Moira series. Thank God, I've been praying for that. And then also, it sounds like Hickman knows what he's doing. He's the Hickman is the one person that you really shouldn't be asking silly questions to, uh, because like when Hickman's doing stuff, you have to trust that he when he creates something, he has years worth of creation to work with. Like he doesn't just write a six issue series. Most of his stuff is like 50, 100 issues, that sort of thing. And uh, you just got to trust in the process. And if you don't enjoy it at the end of it, then you don't enjoy it. That's just that's the way that it is. But everyone's been enjoying this series and I'm really excited to read X-Men 1 when it comes out uh, in two days but before we do that let's talk about the comics that came out today on Marvel Unlimited we've got a big list and I'm gonna quickly and briefly touch on the ones that I won't review because I've read them all I've read them already and my review is that if and I've said this before guys if I buy these comics physically uh, that's my recommendation that they should be read when they're on Marvel Unlimited, 100%, because if I'm going out of my way to spend my hard-earned money on the comic, it better be good. And uh, most of the time, I, I'd say I have like a, probably have like an 80% success rate, more like maybe like 90. I, I'm very picky about the comics that I buy, and they're usually really great. So the first one of that list being Web of Venom, Cult of Carnage. This is a one-shot by uh, Frank Thierry, and uh, let's see if the the app actually has a new interface too which is kind of interesting but uh web of venom cult of carnage is by frank thierry with art by danilo Beirut, color art by andres massa lettered by vcs clayton cowles this is a one shot in preparation for uh, absolute carnage and guys you know i've talked to you in the past about cash grabs in comics where like i said you know um War of the Realms comes out and 16 tie-ins are in there. Well, this is an instance where I do not feel like it's a cash grab. Donny Cates has been putting out these Web of Venom comics since he started Venom. There's been uh, Web of Venom Venom, Web of Venom Carnage Born, Web of Venom Cult of Carnage, uh, Web of Venom Venom Unleashed, and then there's Web of Venom Funeral Pyre, and there may be even some more in the future as well, but these comics are just, they're so good. They're all one-shots. They're really well-written, 
and they're really fun to read by themselves, but all, a lot of them have been tying into Absolute Carnage. So even like the Carnage Born comic that came out last year uh, tied in to Absolute Carnage. Like they've just been doing a good job building it up. So that's one of them. Check that one out. Symbiote Spider-Man, issue number one. This is by Peter David and Greg Land. And uh, I, I got this series when it came out as well. It's a good series. Uh, when I say 80%, this is probably more towards that 20% of... Uh, it wasn't amazing by any means, but now that it's on Marvel Unlimited, I'd recommend checking it out because the art was great. And it's a story with Mysterio. So if you dig Mysterio, then you know there you go. Uh, Captain Marvel, issue number four. This is Captain Marvel fighting Rogue by... Uh, this is... Uh, what is it? Amanda Connor on art and um kelly thompson on writing or no carnero right carmen carnero is the artist why did i think amanda connor i think because amanda connor does the covers yeah amanda connor does the covers but yeah the captain marvel series is great i got it as while it was coming out and i really enjoyed it so i would recommend that one too and uh, unstoppable wasp right in that same vein issue number six of unstoppable wasp that's by jeremy whitley and girahiru uh, i loved that series i thought it was a great um, series especially for it's it's a good series for younger readers but it's also a good series for adults because it deals with a lot of adult sort of things like uh, bipolar disorder and uh, so I would definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't and then the final one is uh, the amazing spider-man issue number 19 like I said I, I reviewed the whole hunted storyline this is a continuation of that hunted storyline so if you haven't read it jump on that the hunted storyline is great so now we can dive into the ones that I read fresh today. The first one is a dual you dual double dip of Star Wars, uh, Age of the Rebellion. These are those one those hit or miss one shots. And guys, surprisingly, both of these issues hit this week for sure. This first one is Princess Leia, story by Greg Pak, with art by Chris Sprouse, Will Sliney, Mark Deering, and Carl Story. Wow. And then colors by Tamara Bonvillain and letters by VC Travis Lanham. So this is just like the other ones. It's a, it's a brief, quick story. But this is a story about Leia when she's going to rescue Lando before they're going to rescue Han Solo in Return of the Jedi. So this is her essentially testing out her skills as a scoundrel. And in doing so, we get to see her kind of first wearing the Bosch uh, ma uh, costume, the one that she wears in Return of the Jedi, and guys, she is does a really good job as a scoundrel, as a as a bounty hunter. Like she ends up fooling a ton of people, and I don't know, it was just a really fun story to read, a really fun one shot to kind of see a different side of Princess Leia, and to get a little bit of uh, a little bit of in canon fill in of what happened in between uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And so in that same vein, Grand Moff Tarkin as well on the Age of Rebellion. Same uh, same story by Greg Pak with art by Mark Lamming. Colors by Jordan Boyd and Naraj Menon with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So this story was nuts in not a good way. Like uh, this was a very dark story, a very Grand Moff Tarkin story. Like it, he had a very messed up childhood and he does not take well to any little complaint. Like he goes, he's trying to practice uh, a simulation of firing up the Death Star, 
and for some reason there's a there's like a boarding because when you fire on the death star when the death star fires everyone has to press the button basically like everyone has to be gung-ho so if someone's not he wants to know about it so he lines everybody up and i I, and i'm kind of glossing over some bits but guys he's just he i would not want to work for grand moff tarkin he seems like the worst manager in the world the worst leader in the world but at the same time if you're a villain he's probably one of the most efficient leaders that i've ever seen in terms of just he is not messing around when he wants the total destruction of a planet to the point where he meets up with this person and is like hey one of the soldiers and he says uh pull up your sleeves and the guy's like what and he's like here he's like ah no scars and the guy's like well i have a scar in my knee from when i was playing uh grav ball in, at uh, university and he's like no 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 uh you you need more scars and essentially starts fighting this guy and then all of a sudden it it goes to uh i guess he stopped fighting him i don't know that part was kind of weird he's like beating the crap out of this guy with a knife trying to give him scars and um and then he just goes away and then he's like all right let that be a lesson to you guys and then we see that alderan is um getting blown up the scene from a new hope and we see at that point that no one's hesitating right like they blew it up and even then at the end he it looked like he said he put scanners in everybody's helmets and there were a couple of people that hesitated to press the button they still pressed it the the planet still blew up but they hesitated and he launches those people into space because and he's like they're like well sorry one of the guys was like sorry alderan was my home planet like sorry i hesitated and he's like wouldn't you do the same thing and he's like no no i wouldn't it just it's it's a really good character study of a comic to see what someone as horrible as him does kind of on a daily basis like holy cow so that's why i thought they were really good like that that was a really good look um next up is war of the realms journey into mystery issue number one so hopefully you guys are reading along with the war of the realms series and you can now enjoy all of these tie-in issues as well so this was one that uh, i actually really enjoyed it i'm interested to see where it's going this is uh, Journey into Mystery, uh, written by the McElroys, the, the McElroys, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y-S. They are, some, I think they're a writing team, I, I'm not sure, they did like Saturday Night Live or something, I'm not sure. But they wrote it, drawn by Andre Lima Aravo, with uh, colors by Chris O'Halloran and lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. The story in this is, it's a weird setup, but the story is interesting, so... Out of the War of the Realms, Balder the Brave has been tasked with guiding and watching over this little baby girl who happens to be his and Thor's sister, a little baby sister. They really don't go into explanation of where this came from. It's certainly, I don't remember that being in Jason Aaron's run, but I, I've foregone it because comics and uh, just said, okay, so they're rest, they're, he's having to, the uh, Frigga or Freya says, hey, Balder, I need you to guard this baby with your life. There will be a group of heroes that will help you out on your journey. Like it's like a prophecy. And so the group of heroes that's with him, and this is what makes this story so interesting. The group of heroes is uh, Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Wonder Man, Simon, uh, Simon, Wonder, Wonder Man, the Simon, uh, a Deathlock, who is a, a female Deathlock, a younger version of Deathlock, and then a man by the last name of Druid, and I think his name was, I think they said it was Stephen Druid, 
but uh, it's not, I don't think it's Dr. Druid. I think it's just a different Druid. So there's just a whole bit in here that Baldur's like, oh yeah, like I've worked with Hawkeye before because Baldur's been dead for a while and they, they go into all of this. It's an interesting story, but he basically gets punked every time he finds the new character in the crew. Like, oh, that's not the Spider-Man I was expecting or oh, that's not the, Haw- the Hawkeye that I was expecting. So the comedy in this was actually pretty funny. It was a really funny story. And the the uh, last bit, the last scene in here is a return of a character that I did not expect to see again. I heard they were returning, but uh, I'm just a little excited now because this was a character that I'm not going to spoil this bit of the of the story, but I was under the impression this character was dead and this character had been ripped in half, but I guess not. So yeah, check that one out for sure. Uh, Apocalypse and the Extracts, issue number two two right yep issue number two this is by uh tim seeley with art by salva espin color art by israel silva letters by vcs travis lanham so this is i've been really enjoying the art on this series it's really well drawn and this character who now i kind of know who it is her name is unveil uh, the gifts given to unveil yeah unveil she's just got the psychedelic aura around her and she can make people look invisible and like sneak in and out of places very very cool but the story starts with them rescuing kitty pride back in the day to recruit her and then the rest of it is them trying to find omega red and they end up finding this weird group of sort of like russian x-men i guess they the they're led by a man named the siberian and it looks creepy, like the 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 page shot of them all drown out, like they look badass. But I just I don't know anything about them. And honestly, this issue was a sort of it's not necessarily a slower issue. It, it you you don't even get to see Omega Red in this issue, so that's where I was like, okay, it's kind of a one off issue. I wouldn't necessarily say it was one of the best, but it's furthering the story along, and we're we're getting to a point now where I think something it's funny actually apocalypse and his extracts have actually been making more moves in the other series than they have in their own series and that that brings me to the other one which is the marvel marvelous x-men issue number three and this is by zach thompson and lonnie nadler with art by marco fala and color art by matt milla with letters by vc's joe caramagna so this one deals with the um the x-men kind of after Magneto and Storm are starting to get these memories back and so they have to talk about it with each other but at the same time uh, Apocalypse is on the TV talking about some demonstrations that he's going to be doing and the X-Men kind of get into a philosophical argument about whether they should let this continue on or if they should just nip it in the butt because uh, this it's it's all human connection type stuff which is just built into their physiology like it's a it's human nature to want to be around people and so we get some cool bits about how everyone's sort of dealing with this and then the cracks guys at this point the cracks are really starting to form because x-man himself kind of intervenes with storm and magneto and makes them for allegedly by the end of this issue makes them forget they even had those thoughts in the first place so just a lot of a lot of not espionage but it's just this is i just love the series as as hit or miss it it's been more hit than miss and it certainly isn't it's not the greatest x-men series of all time but i'm just i'm still loving it i just love the intrigue and i'm really really excited as we get closer to the end here and we really are most of these series are wrapping up in a couple issues uh, i'm just really excited to see where it ends up and how much longer nate 
uh, Gray, X-Man, can continue to hold this world together because I just I can't think it's going to be much longer. He's just, there's too many people figuring out what's going on. And then uh, next up is, as I had stated last month, uh, Invaders, issue number four. Uh, and just as I'd hoped, this issue was incredibly interesting. It uh, is written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis, color art by Alex uh, Gumiares, with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So Chip Zdarsky is, and this is this is something that I did not know. And guys, this is a this is a this is not a comics and cinema exclusive because I saw this on Twitter. But Chip Zdarsky, we all knew it, is not who he says he is. He's a he's a He's a liar. He is not Chip Zdarsky. That is actually his pen name. I had no idea. He is actually someone by the name of Steve Murray, which is funny because I have a really good friend named Steve Murray who kind of seems like the kind of guy who would do something like this. So, you know, Steve Murray's themselves are not to be trusted, but I honestly, I don't know if I can look at Chip the same after this. Chip, as you got, if you guys don't know, Chip Zdarsky is probably one of the funniest and not even he's well written for sure he's a really great writer he's an even better artist but he's an even better instigator he he is the tim and eric of comics at this point he's just really good at inciting uh discord and uh just i don't know he's a stinker and you'll see that in anything that he does if you follow him on twitter he invaded ryan stegman's podcast kidnapped the uh the people in the podcast and this was all for comedy purposes i'm sure but then he just basically called a bunch of comic creators like Al Ewing and Kelly Thompson and uh, just all these people and essentially made fun of them. And it was just it was one of the greatest bits of uh, media that I've listened to in a long time. And that's saying something because Ryan Stegman's podcast is hilarious to begin with because he's kind of the same as Zdarsky. They've got a feud going. And it's just it's ni- it's so nice to see that sort of stuff. As, as funny as that sounds, it's really nice to see that in comics because it gives it gives the stories an extra sort of edge. Like, ooh, I want to read Zdarsky's writing because he's such a such an idiot online. Or, oh, you know, there's a giant feud between Stegman and Zdarsky. Like, we got to see what their comics are. I don't know. It just it seems like it's it's building a community around them. And so, in that regard, congratulations. But at the same time, I will never forgive you, Chip, because. Um, and that's crazy too. I have a, a Derek chip, your daredevil issue. Number one is sitting on my desk covered in cobwebs. Uh, and I have it signed by chip Zdarsky, but I, that's not even you. You don't even chip Zdarsky doesn't exist. That's crazy. But to get back to the point at hand, the reason I read this issue is because we're supposed to be getting the secret of Namor, like what's been going on. And so we kind of find out that professor Xavier took Namor to try and find mutants they found and this is crazy so they find a mutant that has the power to change the species of someone which is crazy he can change the species of any living creature he could turn an animal into a human a human into an animal he could turn a human into a mutant and professor xavier in all his arrogant wisdom when he was younger is like what if we did like what namor like what if we did this to help the mutants and namor's like you're crazy and so and the guy ends up getting shot and killed but at that point namor is kind of just cracking because he's felt guilty for some of the stuff that he's done in world war ii and xavier tries to help him in his mind but it only makes him worse and that just uh, to me it was a, a really cool story and beyond that 
I I don't know if I'm gonna I'll probably check out the next one the fifth issue but I'd like I said I'm just not a big invaders fan I just needed to check out and see exactly what Xavier was doing with Namor and it was a really great character study Zdarsky really does a good job of um, writing these characters and giving them the gravitas that they need to be serious because you know you got Xavier going there's some really good parallels to what Xavier is doing in this invaders issue and what's been going on in House of X so that that's cool all right next one was Winter Soldier issue number five of five this was a great final issue so this is by Kyle Higgins with art by Rod Reese lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles and cover by Rod Reese. And guys, Rod Reese is actually the one who's doing the New Mutants series that is going to be out in a couple weeks. And so this has been following uh, Bucky's sort of trying to redeem himself by redeeming a younger sort of version of himself, this kid. And if you guys remember the last issue, he accidentally killed this kid's dad. Allegedly his dad. I still don't buy that it's his dad. But they're saying it's his dad. He killed him on accident and um is trying to kind of cover it up from the kid and sharon carter's like no 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 like you need to tell him or this is going to make things worse and the problem is the guy who had been using this kid um comes back into his life and is like hey you know you want to know a secret and shows him some photos of bucky killing his dad and that just makes him absolutely livid he ends up leaving bucky and at the same time, though, he ends up killing that guy, which was nice to see because, he, you know, that guy ruined his life. So he got his revenge. But at the end of the day, Bucky, we don't know if Bucky is going to be able to save this kid. And so it just kind of ends on a somber note, which I like. This was a really great story about Bucky and about him trying to redeem what he feels, I think, are his failures throughout his life and trying to help others. And in that sense, it was a really interesting story. So now that all five issues are out, I maybe try and jump on that as a quick read. It certainly isn't one of the, you know, I wouldn't put that in my, you know, top comics of, of all time sort of thing. But just if you're looking for a good story about uh, a redemption that maybe isn't earned or about what happens when someone tries to be better after just a lifetime of being bad, uh, it's a good story to check out for sure. So uh, next up, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, issue number five. This is by Tom Taylor with an art by uh, Yildere Sinar. So this is not your typical Juan Cabal art. Color art by Nolan Woodward and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This was an incredible issue, and I was just shocked at it. I'm not going to spoil anything in it. I'm going to talk about it very briefly because I would highly recommend reading this issue. As you guys know, if you've been reading along in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, Aunt May has cancer and is going to treatment for it. And she this is the issue where she tells Peter. And so we get to see Peter's initial reaction to it, his kind of furthered reaction to it as he leaves and you know swings around the city thinking about things, and then the ultimate perfect ending to this issue. And so... I, I, like I said, I'm not going to say anything more than this other than I really recommend you guys check it out because any time that you can find a writer who writes Spider-Man so well and captures who Spider-Man is in such a great way to the point where in the beginning of this issue, I was like, wait, what? No, no, no. Tom Taylor does not know how to write Spider-Man to being at the end of this issue going, oh, okay, nope he's actually perfect for this series he knows exactly how to write spider-man just if you were wondering how spider-man would deal with aunt may 
having cancer, this is, this is your issue. This is, you know, how to check it out. And so in terms of other stories that are sort of these, I don't know, this week has been just a really good character development week. And and that's moving into Dead Man Logan, issue six of 12, written by Ed Brisson, art by Mike Henderson, colors also by Nolan Woodard, with letters by VCs Corey Petit. This is called Goodbye, and it's interlude so it is not like a this is and this is what i thought i didn't think this series would get any better and it is instantly so you've got the first five issues are uh dealing with um logan kind of trying to wrap things up in killing trying to kill mysterio all that stuff before he dies because he's dying and then it looks like the issues after this are going to be dealing with what happens after this issue. This issue is all about him saying goodbye to specific people. And that's that's another comic book fan's dream. Like how often is it that you get to have these quiet issues that everyone gets to have their clean goodbye? He, he says, and so I won't spoil what takes place in here. I will just tell you who he says goodbye to. He says goodbye to Captain America. And then he says goodbye to Mariko Yoshida. If you guys know who that is, that was his original love in uh, Japan. And then he says goodbye to the real, the original Wolverine, the like now newly resurrected Wolverine, also awesome. And then he says goodbye to sort of the X-Men and more importantly, Glob, which was really sad because him and Glob kind of got close. And then at the end of this issue, he tells, he's with Forge and Jubilee and all of them. And he's like, hey, he says, just, you know, promise me that when you open this portal and send me back to the wastelands, that you shut this portal down and explode it so that nothing, like no one can come back. No one can, because he's in, essentially in a different dimension in the future called the Wastelands where like everyone is dead. He killed all the mutants. It's really sad. That's from, honestly, this would be really cool to read directly after reading Old Man Logan, the original Mark Millar Old Man Logan, because this is essentially the ending to the Old Man Logan story. So he goes back into the Wasteland. The, the, um, the thing blows up. And he just looks out over the wasteland, and that's the end. It says to be continued. So now, these next issues coming up are going to be, I guess, his last days in the wasteland, which is so cool. I didn't, I sort of thought that's what was going to happen, but wasn't sure. I'm just really, I love this series. I'm, I'm, I have been pleasantly surprised at all of these. Old Man Logan, Old Man Hawkeye, Old Man Quill, Dead Man Logan. These have all, four of them have just been aces they've been so good so if you're looking for a great old man logan story dead man logan should scratch that itch and then next up is avengers no road home issue nine of ten so this is the penultimate issue written by jim zub mark wade and al ewing with art by paco medina color art by jesus abyrtov and letters by vc's joe sabino this was a great issue guys and uh, a really interesting issue in that we got to see the planet Euphoria come to life and kind of dig into what the actual desires are for each of the Avengers that are in here. So, you know, what does what does Hercules truly want? What does um, Hawkeye truly want? And uh, for this, I'll, I'll say this because I know we've kind of all been talking about this. I am going to go into spoilers on this issue. So if you don't want to hear them, Maybe either pause it and come back because all I'm going to have after this is, I think, one more review. So you should be fine. Or just skip ahead a bit. But um, in this issue, 
uh, euphoria comes out and essentially says like what what is it that you guys most desire and of course at this point my uh, my marvel unlimited app is not working so give me a second to pull that up and i'll read it for you but it just i thought it was so touching all of the different explanations that they shared of what it is that they they truly wanted or they truly desired because at the end of the day she's um euphoria is trying to figure out it turns out the shard this final shard in is in euphoria in the planet herself and so she's trying to decide who you know who should i give it to and so um she says she basically asks hercules she says well no it starts off she says i'm euphoria i am this planet and uh, i've been you know working for millennia to fulfill people on this planet's desires and she says that um she says i wonder can a decision be made who needs this shard most and nick says i do and hercules says my lady for the good of the universe we must have it and then euphoria says i cannot speak of universes i am only a planet what is your good godling godling what is it that you want and he says he just he says uh recently i've been trying to mend my ways and mend my reputation i've wanted to be seen as legendary a hero again and i so i stopped drinking and that was hard but to stop boasting that became too hard and i wanted to be seen as the legend that people wanted he goes but um he said i i realized though that i don't need i don't want that anymore he goes i i just want to be the man the man that i want to be and he says and what that man is is he does not boast he does not have things that he needs to prove he only helps and that is all i want all i want is to have helped someone and i like i'm choked getting a little choked up now i was choked up reading it like come on hercules hell yeah dude like he's grown so much and then uh she moves on to hawkeye hawkeye says me I don't know. I want to hear music the way that I used to, I guess, before my hearing was damaged. I want to be 20 again. I, I, he goes, I want the perfect shot. One good arrow. And she says, what do you want, immortal? And she's looking at Monica Rambeau. She says, we need light, and without it, we can't live. I want to lead. I can't lead without it. I want to be that light, but not forever. I know that now. And you spellcaster to uh, Scarlet Witch. She says, I want vengeance for for Nyx. And then that's what Nyx says as well. She says, I want vengeance. But then she turns to Rocket and says, and you, you whose sadness dwarfs all here. He says, uh, what's there to want? Time's up. I just want one thing, one thing I ever did to turn out right. And he says, huh, weird. I forgot I stole this. And it's like a canister. And then she looks at Vision and says, what do you want? Here she says, and you, do you have ones? and desires he says i am dying like my son my son it feels quite human i have all i need thank you and that's kind of i was like wow that's touching but then she looks at uh, conan and he says wait what did he say he's human because he's dying and he says you're a fool you think dying makes you human being human makes you die our bodies break disease claims us despair poisons us and you think that has meaning that we want it we fight it like rats fighting a trap and we scream and beg and curse and crom does not care and neither do i but what i want steel devil is for you to fight back that was pretty cool and then uh and then they kind of sort of all get what they want in a really cool way and i won't spoil that bit but by the end of this uh we get a just a really good this was a really great hercules issue and by the end i kind of don't know where things are going because 
they just, I, I don't know, I'm not going to spoil it, only to say I'll discuss my thoughts on this next week when the final issue comes out, because it seems like it's going to be ending in a really good spot. And then the, like I said, there should be only one more. Yep, yep, and that's X-23, issue number 11. Guys, this was a great issue. This was a the beginning of a new spot. So if you're looking for a jumping on point, I would pick here. Like I said, the last few issues I haven't really been impressed with, but this issue is called Dear Gabby Part 1, and I think it's a Part 1 of 2 because at the end of this it says to be concluded. But it is essentially an entire series devoted to character work. Like I said, this is the character week. Devoted to character work between Gabby and Laura as sisters. And it just it was so good. It's so good to see them at odds and to see them uh, kind of leaving on a sour note. So I'm wondering if in this next issue that there's going to be, you know, any sort of resolution. And obviously there's going to be, but it's the how that comes from it. So this is written by Mariko Tamaki, pencils by Diego Orlutegui, inks by Walden Wong, and colors by Chris O'Halloran with letters by VCs Corey Petit. So yeah, as you guys know, X-23 and Gabby are some of my favorite mutants. I uh, I love seeing the many chance I get, and I really hope this series... Wait a minute. No, 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 no. This series doesn't... This series isn't continuing on. This series isn't going. When does... I wonder when this series ends. I bet you it ends at issue 12, because... There are no X-Men series right now with Hickman's stuff, so all these X-Men series are ending. So I bet you this ends at 12. That's going to be my bet. I actually, you know, I could probably double-check and confirm, but I think it, it does end at 12. And if so, that's going to be, I know that's going to be leaving him and Gabby in a uh, in a good spot. Or him and Gabby. It's going to be leaving Laura and Gabby in a good spot, and that's that's all you can ask for because I, I know what Laura's going to be in the Fallen Angels series I don't know where Gabby's going to be, and who knows? Maybe there's a status quo shift at the end of this series that leaves them in a different spot. And especially, I wonder, is Gabby... Gabby technically is a mutant, but she's a clone. So I wonder how that's going to work on Krakoa when, you know, there are no clones allowed. That, I really hope they dive into that. And that is uh, where we'll wrap things up, guys. So those are all the comics that I read this week on Marvel Unlimited. There are a couple of others as well that I didn't mention that I'm not reading. I, obviously, I can't read everything. And I'm, in this case, you know, I don't want to read all of these ones. But the other ones that came out were X-Force, issue number six. As Guardians of the Galaxy, issue number eight. That's a War of the Realms tie-in. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, issue number 43. Uh, that's also a War of the Realms tie-in along with Spider-Man and Deadpool, issue number 49, and some old comics of Mutant X. So if those are interesting to you, check those out. But for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and enjoy reading these comics. (laughs) 